Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Third Down Gamble, the CFL betting podcast, Grey Cup edition. I'm your host, Kyle McMahon. Great to have you back here for one final time in 2019 as we close in on Grey Cup Sunday. We're going to have a quick look back at the division finals before breaking down the big game itself. And before we do that, I'll just remind you that you can follow along on Twitter at KDrive88. That's K-D-R-I-V-E-88 for show updates and to get in touch with me if you have any questions, comments, or feedback. And the full show archive is available at firstlinepicks.com. All right, we'll jump right into it. So we got Winnipeg and Hamilton, a matchup with... Plenty of intrigue and appeal for a variety of reasons. One of these two teams will finally win their first Grey Cup of the current century, and this will be in fact the first time in 35 years that these two teams have faced each other, uh, renewing a a very old rivalry. They they played each other continuously throughout the, the late 50s and 1960s. Uh, this is the first time since that game in 1984 that Winnipeg will represent the Western Division in a Grey Cup. They've appeared in seven since, but all out of the Eastern Division. To look back on how they got here, Hamilton took care of business on home field in the Eastern Final, dismissing the Eskimos without a great deal of trouble. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't have time for a show last week, but this game pretty much unfolded how I envisioned it. I, I thought Trevor Harris and the Edmonton offense would be more effective than they ended up being, but the Hamilton defense hasn't wavered all, all year, and really the only way the Tiger Cats were losing last Sunday was you know, if they committed a boatload of turnovers, and obviously that didn't occur. The Eskimos stuck to their blitzing philosophy on defense, which was their strength all year, and and they did pressure Dane Evans into enough riskier throws to at least give themselves a chance to force some turnovers. But at the end of the day, very few defensive backs in this league can manage Brandon Banks or Braylon Addison in one-on-one coverage, and if you're blitzing extra personnel, those guys are often going to make you pay for that, and, and they did here. The explosive plays those guys made on offense were certainly not matched on the Edmonton side. Uh, a lot of dink and dunk passing from Trevor Harris and on the ground. C.J. Gable managed, I think it was only one run the entire day of, of over five yards, and of course he fumbled the ball at the end of that one. Um, you know, I thought the play calling was pretty predictable, probably too conservative in the, the second half of the game. Um I'm not really sure what good kicking a field goal is to cut a 15-point deficit to 12 points in the fourth quarter with time ticking away on you, especially against an opposing offense that you haven't really stopped all day. But if that was the last we see of Jason Moss on the Eskimos sideline, he, he went out his way. Let's just say that. Yeah, the thing is, Hamilton, I don't think, even really played their best game here. I, I think some of that was owing to, to rust and a lack of high-intensity football in the weeks leading up to this game. Uh, they still ended up winning by 20. I, I think it's been clear for at least a couple months now that they're the best team in the CFL this year, and it showed again on Sunday. And this team never missed a beat when Jeremiah Masoli went down back in the summer, and it's a credit to the whole organization that there's really no weakness to be found anywhere on the roster or within the coaching staff, and they're deservedly off to their first Grey Cup in five years, and of course will want to end the 20-year dry spell as it pertains to actually lifting the trophy. 
The spread on that game sat just short of a touchdown throughout the week with the books continuing a, a second half of the season trend in, in my opinion of shorting the Tiger Cats. Uh, they covered this one without a sweat and while the total could have gone either way depending on which number you got and, and which side of it you were on, uh, the game lands 52 which is uh, the number it closed at at some shops after opening 50 um, and, you know, and seeming to bounce between those two numbers during the week. If you add the over on the 52 number, you've you've probably got a reasonable beef with the official who threw the what I would categorize as a very weak flag for pass interference, which took away a, an Eskimos touchdown in in garbage time, you know, meaningless to the result of the game itself, but obviously not meaningless to a certain segment of us. And uh, if you Happened to cross my Twitter on Saturday night. You saw me tweet out Hamilton minus the points and over 50. So thanks to the Cats for making sure both of those cashed. Out West, things were certainly a lot closer. And this ended up being one of those games where no matter who lost, they were going to feel like they blew it simply due to the way the game unfolded. Winnipeg controlled the middle portion of this game, keeping the Riders' offense completely in check, but they couldn't quite strike the decisive blow, never stretching their lead beyond on 10 points in the second half. Cody Fajardo exceeded my expectations, actually, in terms of what I thought he could provide with the, an oblique injury. Reports out of practice a couple days before this game suggested that he could barely throw the ball 20 yards, so... Whatever freezing or horse tranquilizers they shot him up with before this game uh, did what they were supposed to, and uh, <laughs> Fajardo got his team into position to tie this game twice in the final minutes, uh, only to be let down by his offensive coordinator. Steve McAdoo has come under fire on this podcast at times during the season. He's also come under fire on the TSN panel, and we saw his bad tendencies rear their head again on Sunday, especially late. No way to sugarcoat this. Bad play calling down at the goal line is the primary reason Saskatchewan cleaned out their lockers this week instead of traveling to Calgary. We've talked about this continually throughout the year. The Riders are effective on offense when they're running the ball. Uh, this hasn't hasn't changed really throughout the entire season. When they try to pass their way to victory and, and don't give William Powell and, and Marcus Thigpen the ball is, is when they struggle. The fact that their quarterback's passing ability was limited by an injury just makes it all the more baffling to me that they tried to pass their way in on three consecutive trips inside the 10 in the fourth quarter of this game. The Bombers' defense has been hit and miss in the second half of the season, so you've got to give them a lot of credit as well for slamming the door every time the Riders threatened to tie the game up or you know close to within a field goal. But it's uh, the old adage uh, in, in football and really in any sport that it's seldom great plays that win the game, but often preventable errors that lose them. And if you're a Saskatchewan fan, it's it's hard to walk away from that game and not feel that boneheaded play calling probably cost you a shot at the Grey Cup. No guarantees that things unfold differently if they run the ball in those situations. Uh, it's you know not like Winnipeg has a, a weak defensive line by any means, but first and goal on the five, knowing you have three downs... It, Passing just really shouldn't even be something you consider there, not with a, not with a strong offensive line and a power running back. So definitely a, a lot of frustration felt by Riders fans uh, on the, the final seconds of that game. As far as the betting angle goes, Winnipeg plus 3.5 was the, the clear and easy play throughout the week, I thought, given the, the injury situation. Um, you know, I threw, the, threw that one out on Twitter as well, charitable as I am. And uh, obviously it does cash, but not without some sweat. 
Over-under closed at 45.5 in this one. Pretty low for a game where the weather was as nice as it was, but with a wounded quarterback on one side, it wasn't something I was going to touch. If, if you were on the the over, the possibility of overtime at least kept you in it until the bitter end, but ultimately it was the under that got people paid. But that's probably enough talk about the vanquished division final losers. We will move on to Winnipeg and Hamilton, who will kick off the 107th Grey Cup at McMahon Stadium in Calgary late Sunday afternoon. The number for the big game opened with the Eastern champion Tiger Cats, favored by two and a half points at most books, and they've seen the bulk of the midweek action with that number moving quickly through the key number of three out to three and a half, and there's now some fours showing on the board. Over-under hasn't seen a lot of movement yet, hanging out around 52 with the odd 51 and a half out there as well. Uh, we'll start with the underdog bombers here. Uh, I think probably the most interesting thing about this run to the Grey Cup from the third place position for Winnipeg is the fact that Andrew Harris really hasn't been the key to either of their victories. 24 carries for just a shade under uh, 100 yards and only four receptions in the two playoff games combined. Certainly not the numbers we're used to seeing out of Harris, but it takes all 12 guys on the field pulling in the same direction to be successful in this game, and the Bombers have done what they've needed to do to reach this point. And Richie Hall's defense, I, I think more than anything, has really peaked at the right time with six consecutive quarters now since an opponent has found the end zone on them. Yeah, you know what they say, defense wins championships, but in reality, I, I don't think Winnipeg can get away with an offensive performance similar to what they showed last week if they're going to finish the deal here and win their first Grey Cup since 1990. The Bombers moved the ball reasonably well on a Riders defense that, that knew they didn't have much margin for error last week, but they failed to finish drives with majors in the second half, and it nearly caught up to them by the end of the football game. The reality is, if you want to beat this Hamilton team, you've got to operate under the assumption that you're probably going to need 30 points out of your offense. Justin Medlock has been lights out for the Bombers, and a, a good and confident kicker is vital heading into this spot, but kicking a bunch of field goals isn't a recipe for success here. I'm sure a lot of keystrokes this week are, are going to be dedicated to wondering how Winnipeg is going to slow down a potent Ticats offense, and so they should be, but honestly, I think figuring out a way to score on the Ticats defense is probably the bigger concern of Mike O'Shea and, and his staff this week. And, and over the course of the entire season, the Alouettes are really the only offense that gave the Hamilton defense any trouble. Winnipeg did almost nothing on offense in their two previous meetings against this team, one with Matt Nichols at quarterback, the other with Chris Streveler. It's Zach Caleros' turn now, and he's been very calm, cool, and collected back there through two playoff games thus far, and he'll need to put in another 60 minutes, uh, likely of error-free football in this game to win, but if the Bombers can't find a way to have success on the ground. I don't think that's going to be enough. Hamilton's been stung in the past uh, in recent years with key injuries late in the season, you know, including Caleros himself, oddly enough, going down in 2015 uh, when he was the, the Tiger Cats starting quarterback, just when it looked like it might be their year. But the football gods have smiled on Hamilton, it seems, this year uh, with almost no significant injuries to report on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Simone Lawrence has garnered no shortage of attention this year, not always for the right reasons, but you might remember he did set a single-game record with 18 tackles a few weeks back against Winnipeg. 
Offensive coordinator Paul Lapolis is going to need to reach into his bag of tricks here and find a way to get Harris away from Lawrence, uh, you know, with misdirection and, and whatnot, because that guy's just owned the middle of the field more often than not this season. Winnipeg's overall success rate along the ground this year was in the, the 60% area. But when you isolate the two games against the Tiger Cats, that drops uh, precipitously down to 42% with just uh, four total explosive runs in there. Uh, you know, and that's coming from a team that averaged over four uh, explosive runs per game against the rest of the league. You know, you look at Hamilton's overall run defense for the season. They they got run on pretty good early on, but uh, they shored things up and, and traffic has pretty well been close to, to running backs at the line of scrimmage since that mid-August game against BC where, where John White ran them over. Um, you know, and I mean, of course, you have to note Simone Lawrence was, was suspended for, for a couple of those early games, so, you know, make note of that. Winnipeg, uh, I'm sure, will continue to use Chris Streveler as a runner, uh, but Saskatchewan keyed on this and significantly limited his effectiveness last week compared to what Calgary was able to do the week before. The Bombers have been willing to let Streveler pass on some of these plays as well, and I think they're probably going to have to try and burn Hamilton early early on with this, or, or we might see the same thing we saw last week, which is a, a defense selling out to contain the run when, when Streveler's on the field. As far as the passing game goes, Winnipeg could really use a a hero stepping up here. We've seen this before in Grey Cups. Uh, somebody who's, who's maybe not a household name ending up with a big game receiving. Yeah, it'll be a one of Drew Wolitarski, uh, Kenny Lawler, even uh, Rashid Bailey, who's who's been getting some looks in this offense. One, one of these guys heating up and taking some attention away from Darvin Adams would be huge. Uh, you remove the last two games of the schedule after first place was wrapped up for, for Hamilton and the, the focus maybe wasn't at 100%. And this this secondary has probably only had one game where you'd, you'd give them a failing grade since the middle of August. And that, that was on the road against Bo Levi Mitchell. Uh, the flip side of that is they, they didn't really face anyone particularly great during that span other than Mitchell up, up until last week but you know we all saw what Trevor Harris did to Montreal in the Eastern semi-final and the Tiger Cats were having none of that last week and, and kept a, a quarterback who's burned them in, in last year's playoffs from ever getting much going bottom line for me on this side of the ball Winnipeg needs to get creative Paul Lapolis is one of the best coordinators in the game, uh, and you know he was actually the head coach in in Winnipeg the last time they appeared in the Grey Cup. And rumors are swirling that he's uh, a leading candidate to fill one of the these head coaching vacancies uh, somewhere else in the CFL heading into next season. Spotlight's going to be on him and Claros here to see if they can can put a bow on one of the more improbable personal comeback stories that we've seen in this league. And they're going to need to devise something that catches this defense off guard. The Hamilton offense comes in with uh, somewhat less apprehension, I think, in terms of will they or won't they move the ball. Brandon Banks was named the league's most outstanding player last night, and I, I would argue Braylon Addison has, has almost, if, if not been his equal at the receiver position this season. Uh, if the weather cooperates, uh, you know, and by the looks of things, it, it will. We're looking at temperatures around zero degrees Celsius for kickoff and not a strong likelihood of precipitation. Um, this Ticats game is, is close to unstoppable. 
the one thing Dane Evans hasn't done a great job of since he took over for Jeremiah Masoli is, is protecting the football. 13 picks and 12 starts obviously isn't great. Although you do have to go all the way back to Labor Day to find the last instance of him throwing two interceptions in a single game. 350 to 400 yards in, in the air has become the norm as Evans has settled into the starting role. And, and when you look at explosive passing plays, five or six big gainers per game has become standard. You compare that to Winnipeg, who didn't have more than, I don't think, four explosive passes in a single game all year. And that, that right there is probably the biggest difference between these two offenses. Um, you know, the Bombers secondary and their defense as a whole, uh, you know, as I mentioned, these guys have really come together nicely in the playoffs, but it, you look at the broader picture and this was a secondary that got victimized badly in the second half of the season. Uh, you, so you look at the context of, of what happened in these last two games. Yeah, you've got the bitter cold in Calgary that, that helped slow down a, a Stampeders passing game when they, you know, had no run game whatsoever to fall back on. And, then last week, uh, you're playing a wounded quarterback in Fajardo. So I, I don't want to downplay the job this defense has done. I mean, going six quarters without allowing a touchdown against two 12-win teams is impressive regardless of the circumstances. But this game here certainly projects to be the stiffest test they'll encounter. Chandler Fenner, who hasn't dressed since he got hurt late against the Stampeders in Winnipeg's second-to-last regular season game, is listed on the team roster this week. Uh, he'd be a big piece to get back in the secondary if he is indeed healthy enough to, to be on the field on Sunday, but I, I really like the job Mercy Maston did back there last week after not really seeing much of the field until the end of the season. And going into this game with some, some momentum, if you, know, if you can call it that on defense, should, uh, should at least have everyone's head in the right place. But regardless of who's back there, it's almost impossible to keep Banks and Addison under wraps. A, you know, you've got a future Hall of Famer plus a guy who might be NFL bound sooner rather than later in, in Addison. And the speed possessed by both guys on a 65-yard wide field makes them almost undefensible. Winnipeg's best bet here, surprise, surprise, we say this all the time, is getting pressure on Evans and forcing him into mistakes. Edmonton did a reasonable job, I, I thought, of doing this last week, but they, they couldn't really make him pay. They, they dropped a would-be pick on their own goal line early in the game that uh, might have perhaps uh, led to a, a somewhat different outcome there. Um, so the Bombers should be looking to create turnovers here, and really since day one, even, even with Masoli, creating turnovers has been the most effective way of, of getting off the field against this offense, which simply doesn't have to punt the ball away very often. It'll be MOP versus MOP out there when Hamilton has the ball as uh, Willie Jefferson uh, took home top defensive player honors, which was expected, I, I would say. Um, Jefferson's impact has noticeably dropped off in the latter stages of the season, though. He's going to have to turn in one of those efforts that, that won him this award for Winnipeg to have a successful day on defense on Sunday. And and he's going to have to do it against what remains in, in all likelihood the league's top offensive line. To go back to the previous meetings this season, Winnipeg did a good job against the run, holding Hamilton to just over 40% success rate with, with four explosives in the two games. Uh, that's actually practically identical to what Hamilton did against them. Uh, but one of those games was against Malik Irons, and the other was against, was Tyrell Sutton's first game of the season. It, it was Cameron Marshall back there for the Cats last week as the, the revolving door of running backs uh, continued with Sutton getting banged up late in the year. But Marshall was a guy who's probably a starting caliber running back in this league when, when he's healthy and uh, he just 
simply wasn't healthy for most of the year. Uh, so ha having him fresh at the very end of the season when everyone else is out there banged up to some extent uh, could pay off here. I, I don't expect the run game to play a huge role in the Ticats offense, but despite the potency of their aerial attack, they stayed committed to keeping the run involved all year. It helps, obviously, that they either led or were within a touchdown on the scoreboard for almost literally every minute of the season. But uh, in a league where coaches tend to inexplicably drift away from the run game at fairly steady intervals, uh, it should be reassuring that Orlando Steinauer, who was named Coach of the Year, and, and offensive coordinator Tommy Condell uh, never, never let this happen at any point in Hamilton. You know, so, uh, yeah, as you can perhaps uh, maybe infer by now, I, I do like the Tiger Cats to, to win the 107th Grey Cup on Sunday. It looks like this line is still moving in the direction of Hamilton, but at, at four points, I, I do believe some value still exists there. As far as any X factors go, this is maybe the one area where I think Winnipeg has some things that could potentially break their way. Um, they do have the more experienced coaching staff. They have two quarterbacks, both of whom they'll use. Um, so that's a nice insurance policy in the unfortunate event that uh, an injury strikes. And the the one other thing that you know isn't really quantifiable is that the Bombers have gone through a lot of adversity in the second half of the season to reach this point. And you can even stretch that back multiple seasons. Yeah, this coaching staff and core group of players have, have been to battle before. You know, they've they've finally made it to the Grey Cup. And I do sense that there could perhaps be just a tiny bit more hunger from the, the boys in blue and gold, knowing knowing that opportunities to win championships when you play in the same division as the Calgary Stampeders don't exactly grow on trees. You know, whereas yeah, Hamilton is, is looking poised to be the new bully in the Eastern Division. I mean, things can change in a in an instant in, in this league and in, in football in general, but... You know, despite losing their quarterback back in the, the summer, you know, Hamilton just hasn't really had many bumps in the road in, in getting to this point. So if, uh, you know, as far as who is more battle tested, that's that would definitely be be the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, in my opinion. You know, as I'm sure Bombers fans will painfully recall, they, they cruised to the Grey Cup game with a 14-4 and record, led by a young quarterback by the name of Kahari Jones back in 2001 in uh, much the same manner as Hamilton has, has this year, um, only to lay an egg at Olympic Stadium in Montreal on Grey Cup Sunday as a, a Calgary Stampeders team with a, a losing record, which is ironic because the Calgary Stampeders have almost never had a losing record in the last 30 years, <laughs> but they did that year. And uh, as, as luck would have it, they pulled off uh, you know a huge upset uh, against Winnipeg that, that fateful day. You know, I mean, these these things do happen. Uh, this this would not be a, an upset of, of that sort of magnitude, certainly. But in a in a one game winner take all situation, we all know anything can happen, especially in the CFL. But all that that said, I I do think the market is selling the cats a little short here. And from from my vantage point, I I think I'd probably need to see that number touch six before I I gave serious thought to going the other way. Total-wise, uh, as has been the case for most of these playoff games, uh, no strong lean here. If uh, if the weather were to suddenly turn cold, I'd I'd start looking looking harder at the under. But yeah, fifty-one, fifty-two. That's that's pretty much right where I expected this to sit. So, not particularly uh, enticing right now. Um, 
you know, gun to my head, I, I think the Hamilton defense is able to limit Winnipeg enough to probably keep this game a shade under, maybe a 28 to 20, that type of scoreline. But I, I do not personally see myself taking a, a position on the total in this game. Uh, as, as far as the best bet goes, um, if you remember back to the season preview podcast, I do believe I gave out Hamilton plus 700 uh, at the time as the best bet on the Grey Cup Futures board. So if if you've got that ticket in your back pocket, give yourself a little round of applause for your wise investment. And uh, I'm sure you are <laughs> have a big smile on your face heading into Sunday knowing the, knowing the big payoff is just one game away but uh, if not I think Hamilton is still reasonably attractive here laying just over a field goal obviously getting the opening number on Monday would have been ideal um well, let's say Hamilton minus three and a half to make things official I I do think they'll they'll be the last uh, man or the last the last 43 men standing on Sunday evening in uh, what I sense is one of the more highly anticipated games in recent years you have to go back to the days of Anthony Calvillo leading the Montreal Awets. I, you know, I think to find the last time the Eastern Division sent a, you know, a legitimate heavyweight to the big game with, with all, all due respect to recent editions of the Ottawa Red Blacks. Um, you know, I want to say 2010 is probably the last time the East was favored in this game. And I, I think we'll have ourselves a, a fantastic uh, football game to close out the 2019 season. All right, folks, that will do it for Third Down Gamble in 2019. I've enjoyed our inaugural season, and I fully plan on doing this again in 2020, possibly with some guest appearances or other bells and whistles that I might think of over the cold winter months. Uh, But I will keep you updated on all that throughout the off-season. I've been a bit busy lately to keep the website properly updated beyond just loading up the show each week, Uh, but with the season drawing to a close, that should free up some more time to throw up some items of interest in the coming weeks and months. Just remember to follow me on Twitter at kdrive88 if you're not already doing so. And that website that I speak of is, of course, firstlinepicks.com, where you can currently find the entire show archive and Hopefully some additional CFL material in the not-too-distant future. So enjoy the Grey Cup on Sunday. Have a great off-season. And from the bottom of my degenerate heart, I thank you very much for listening throughout the year. And I can't wait to do it all again in 2020. Take care.